Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Jefferson is the greatest women's basketball player in JMU history, and that's what we'll lead with today on the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlin. I'm joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. And Jack, I have a lot of takes after about four combined games of JMU Sports. Yeah, you. the texts I was getting from you last night were fantastic. Just so many things. And then you just kept saying the same thing over and over. I have a great take. I have a great take. And we'll get into the, I don't know what the take is. We'll get into it later on in the podcast. But I think you want to start with a question or two, kind of kind of bring back the lightning round-esque, and then we'll jump into basketball? Yes, yes. So before we get to the Kiki Jefferson and all the good basketball stuff, you're a Seahawks fan. So you were tuned in yesterday when the Seahawks played the Eagles. My question, though, is about the Eagles, because they won a Super Bowl a few years back. Carson Wentz almost won an MVP that year. Probably would have if he didn't get hurt. Obviously, Nick Foles led them to the championship, all that great stuff. He did? But they're terrible now. They're they're truly awful. So I was curious, do you think Carson Wentz is actually bad? Like, what happened to the Eagles? So I was talking with a friend of mine who's an Eagles fan on Twitter. We exchanged a couple tweets, and he he believes it's more on the coaching staff, Doug Peterson and, and everyone, because he's just like, a, maybe 2017 – was a flash in the pan. Maybe that was the outlier, but he was also pretty solid his rookie year. He was pretty solid 2018. He was, he led that team to a playoff berth last season in 2019 with no supporting cast whatsoever. He kind of willed them in. And if he doesn't get concussed early on in that first quarter against the Seahawks in the wild card game, maybe they win because that was a 17 to nine close loss. So, I mean, to kind of discount Carson Wentz as a terrible quarterback, I think is maybe jumping the gun. We're kind of doing that this season too with Lamar Jackson. We're kind of quick to throw these quarterbacks out. Um, I think it is more on the coaching staff. I think Doug Peterson doesn't necessarily know how to, as weird as this may sound, doesn't know how to really coach quarterbacks, doesn't know how to develop them and help them grow. And But last night, Carson Wentz was bad. I mean, he was missing wide open receivers. He was missing reads. He was going through the wrong progressions. But if I'm an Eagles fan, I want to see them kind of clear out front office I want to get rid of Howie I want to get rid of Doug but you have so much money caught up in Carson Wentz this offseason and I think the way his contract is set up even in two years you still have a lot of money caught up in him so I would kind of give him the benefit of the doubt unless like some fantastic quarterback falls into your lap in the draft um, stick with Carson for the next year or two because I don't see any free agents really hitting the market 
really anytime soon in the quarterback space. So stick with Carson, see what happens and clear out that front office and that coaching staff and then cross your fingers, something good happens. And if not, announce that you're in a total rebuild and then you can go on from there. But I think the coaching staff is more of the problem in this one. It's really just wild all around because people have completely discounted him. I think you're like you were saying with quarterbacks, we're so quick to be like Lamar Jackson has a great season. They're like, he's going to do this for 20 years. And then it's he like, <laughs> like he was he he had a historically great year last year. And then this year he's playing above average. Like if you look at his stats, he's not like falling off a cliff. He just isn't playing at that historically great level. And then we're so quick to just be like, well, He's a running back. He shouldn't be quarterback in the league. Well, no, the offense just, he hasn't grown in that offense. The offense doesn't force him to grow. He doesn't have to throw it. You don't get me started. I can go on a whole podcast about how we treat our quarterbacks in this league. It's really just insane. But yeah, I think it's interesting to see how they'll develop. And some of it is that division this year. All the teams are still trying to win. But I think the front office deserves some blame for the drafting of receivers. I think last night they mentioned they had drafted J.J. Arcega-Whiteside or Ortega, some people, I don't know how you really pronounce it, but him over D.K. Metcalf, which I guess at the time maybe they felt was more safe. That three-cone drill, man. That three-cone drill. Everyone looks dumb in hindsight. And they also drafted, what, Jalen Rager this year, and he cannot separate from anybody. Over over Denzel Mims, over, I believe, Henry Ruggs. Maybe Henry Ruggs was taken a little earlier. But, like, yeah. it was a stacked wide receiver draft class. You literally only had one guy you could miss on, and everyone was saying, Jalen Rager, do not take him. And the Eagles were like, you know what? I feel like Jalen Rager, uh, he's pretty good. Rager was, like, a risky pick, and then they didn't back it up with, like, oh, let's add some offensive line help, or let's see if we can get, you know – maybe another receiver in the second round they want Jalen Hurts and they still believe in Carson Wentz they're using Hurts as like a gimmick it doesn't make why would you draft a guy there to use him as like a gimmick and with the Eagles like they do have a good excuse me they do have a good offensive line for the most part but they're old so they get injured like if you look at that offensive line it is depleted with injuries but like their starting five (laughs) are good like their offensive line is good but you just have what a, an a aging Jason Kelsey, Jason Peters, I believe tore his ACL or something like that this season, and he's a little old. I think he's like thirty six. Like, you just go down the line, and you can't expect thirty three plus year old offensive linemen to hold up over the course of the season. Yeah, there's no depth, and then they're terrible, and then Wentz at times holds on to it too long. So all those things factor in. I also think it's hard to improve as a quarterback when you snap the ball and like half the time you're getting crushed. I think that would definitely change the way you throw, the way you go through reads. I mean, you look at Tom Brady under pressure versus Tom Brady with a clean pocket. He's the greatest of all time versus, you know, a very mediocre quarterback. Do you want to hear a crazy stat before we wrap up the Carson Wentz's bad talk? Yes. Uh, What was it? Might have been the post-game show that I was listening to last night, Hawk Blogger. It's a Seahawks fan site, and they – of course, it's going to be biased towards Seahawks, but they do have a really good post-game show where they kind of – there's a couple of them that, like, hate the Seahawks in a loving way. It's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. But they dropped the stat that um, Carson Wentz is the worst-rated quarterback against no pressure. See, that's fascinating. And I think maybe it's a stretch. Maybe it's a stretch. I would like to see what he ranked in that stat in previous seasons – and if yeah. the fact that he's taking so much pressure has sort of made him, in the words of Sam Darnold, you know, I'm seeing ghosts. <laughs> I wonder if at this point he's just, he's worried. But he's also, 
he was missing wide open reads. He was missing wide open receivers. Like he had Dallas Goddard for like, and I'm biased here as a Dallas Goddard fantasy owner, but he had him for like multiple deep chunk plays and he underthrew him by like six yards. And the interception late in the game was Dallas Goddard breaks. I think he broke in. Yeah. And then Carson threw it. It wasn't like a throw break in. Right. It was break in. I see you broken in. I'm going to throw to Quandre. And as they pointed out after, he had a slant route wide open. He had another, I think, like a fade sort of to the corner that was open. Like he just, he's not playing well at all. And also, I know I just said that we'll finish the Carson Wentz talk, but I mean, it, he is just, I do want to see him get another chance or two um, because this is his first strike in my mind. But man, was he bad last night. But man, were his running backs not helping him. Miles Sanders, Mr. Catch It and then throw it into the air. He did that a couple times on a couple drops. And those just made me laugh. Um, and then the Boston Scott screenplay where Jamal Adams came screaming off the side to get the sack. But it was a screen. It was a play action screen. But Boston Scott just did the play action and sat in the middle. Yep. There were, the running backs were terrible. I mean, there were times like Boston Scott had one where he ended up getting the first down, but he caught it with like tons of space. It was, I think it might've been a third down or something. And he barely got the first, like nobody's near him. And he almost ran out of bounds with nine yards. It was just awful. And last thing that was awful last night, the refs. Refs were terrible, just like terrible. And as a Seahawks fan, I'm not used to getting like bad calls benefiting us. So many of those calls benefited the Seahawks. There was that one terrible intentional grounding call the where the, the coach <laughs> caught it and they're like, Dodge. and the ref is on. <sighs> All right, we, we will now move on. But it was just, I don't know, that one gets me fascinated because like to go from an MVP in 2017 is also an FCS guy, so it makes it a little more interesting to me to go from that, what he did at North Dakota State to then now is kind of shocking to me. And All in right. a weird way, I think he's hurting Trey Lance's stock. I think, yeah, I think there is something to be said for like that weird connection where we were like, oh, North Dakota State guys. I think that helped Easton stick a ton. <laughs> oh, like, oh yeah, yeah. I thought you meant like right now it's helping Easton <laughs> stick. And I was like, that's really weird. <laughs> no, Easton stick to me was not a guy that I would have drafted. And I think he was drafted in like the fifth round. Yeah. And I also think in a weird way, Carson Wentz helped Ben DiNucci get drafted. Probably. All right. Now let us move on so we don't make this a weird eagles podcast katie harper she's probably stoked nobody else is um yeah do we want to do men's or women's first who i can i can talk more on men's personally i haven't watched a women's game yet let me fire out the women's takes so i stand by my take that this is the perfect pandemic team so they they opened the season with a 69 to 55 win against mount st mary's didn't have a chance to watch that one i think it was like just after um, Virginia played and I was working on stuff but then I did watch them on Monday they lost to Buffalo 80 to 64 this is the most insane game I've ever watched in my life like I haven't been mad about a JMU sporting event in a really long time so this felt so good to get like heated about the Dukes they're down 57 to 24 at halftime and I'm just I'm I mean I'm flustered man Buffalo is pretty good I looked it up before the game because normally when I watch these games and they're going up against a mid-major I know what like the men's mid-major team is, and I have no clue about the other team. They're picked to finish like fourth in the MAC. They got a couple first place votes though. They had one player on the preseason MAC first team, one player on the second team. So I was like, all right, they're experienced, they're decent. Like this is not a guaranteed win, but the way they lost this was absolutely shocking to me. 
So <laughs> go down, what is it, like 33, I guess? Is that the math there? 33 points at halftime? That's sure. insane. That's absolutely insane. They then outscore Buffalo 27 to 6 in the third quarter. 27 to 6? 27 to 6. They at one point get a steal in the fourth quarter early on, take it coast to coast for a layup. They're down eight with like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. I'm like, oh my God, like they might come back from 33 down and a half. They didn't end up doing it. They faded a little bit. The second half was fine. They played pretty well. But this is such a fun pandemic team because they're like loaded with young players, dude. Kiki Jefferson legitimately, I think, is the best JMU women's player that has played there since I became a JMU fan, like 2014. She's so athletic. She's so good. She had 16 points, eight rebounds, and lost to Buffalo. But, like, some of the baskets she has are just insane. The way she gets to the rim, she runs fast. She's got a good shot, so she's solid. Rain Tucker was really good. Dude, Peyton McDaniel. She's from Berks County, which is where I went to high school. She went to Twin Valley. I didn't go there. But she is six feet. They list her as like a guard, but she's like, she's got some good size on her. She's able to really um, rebound well and, and get to the rim and different things. She was not great from the floor, but she had 10 boards. And there's one point where she's like able to hold her own in the post. She grabs one and goes like coast to coast. And I was like, oh my God. Like she was running transition as like a six foot guard who also has post skills. So like, Really excited about what she can do. Also, I looked up Eleanor Marshewski's last name pronunciation guide. They don't have it this year, but I found an old one. Finally, well, you're digging. You are digging for that. Well, one. I needed to get it right because I like mention her half the time, and I, I never know her how to say her name. So Marshewski, got to work on Marshewski. She only played five minutes, but she was decent. I mean, they've got Brianna Tinsley, the UVA transfer. She was making pass fakes that would just oh my god, they were saucy, dude. She would drive in the lane. <laughs> pass fake everybody would bite and she had a wide open shot and I was like this is something like this is something they lost by 16 though Nikki Oppenheimer only had six minutes yeah she comes in a little bit to like shoot the ball but they were pretty much trying whatever they could like rotation wise and they had some really quick guards I think she was struggling a little bit on D but yeah I would, I would like to see her get some more minutes just because she's such a good shooter she's over two but her shot is is awesome but they're deep and then I they don't have the pronunciation guide this year, so I wish that they did for, I think it's Hazel, Hazel, Jamia, Jamia, I can't remember. I thought um, you were going to say Anne Francois Diouf. She is a stud, dude. The freshman guard, she was unreal yesterday. Unreal. 14 points. Turned it over a little bit. Too much. They had, like, I've never seen a team commit more charges in my life. Like, they would get it in transition. They would get, like, past half court, and I was like, this is going to be a charge. And they would just, like, roll in and just <laughs> cruise over somebody. And I was like, oh, my God. But they were big. Keep... What? Like, was Buffalo a big team? Like, did they have a lot of tall tall players? No, they were, their guards were, were filthy. Like, their guards were nuts. So they had one player, <laughs> Hannah Hall, super scrappy. She was 8 for 12 from 3. Like, she was making everything. And then they also had uh, Fair. She was the other guard. Shot the ball 27 times. Uh, maybe a little shout out there to Jackie Benitez. Uh, goes up with 27 shots. Scores 29 points, but she was also nine assists to two turnovers, seven boards. So their two guards were really, really good. So I think that's kind of what happened. They just got shell shock. Buffalo made like every shot early. They fell behind and they made way too many turnovers. Jamie had 19 to eight assists. You can't do that. But overall, man, excited about this team. I think they're a perfect pandemic team because if they have games canceled, like this is not a sweet 16 team. 
Last year, I think they could have been a Sweet 16 team. This year, they're not doing that, certainly, in my opinion. So you're not going to be too upset if they, like, lose games or anything like that, whether it's a postponement, a cancellation, or an actual loss. Like, I don't think the Buffalo game should actually alarm anyone. Uh, Buffalo's a pretty good team. I think they've got a really, really good chance to beat Virginia on Thursday, having watched uh, the women's team a little bit for Virginia and, and followed them. They're picked to finish last in the ACC, and they're incredibly young. They, uh, I think they turned the ball over 30 times in their first game. So if, if JMU can put up some <laughs> – yeah, it's, it's actually insane. So they turned the ball over more than any team I've ever seen in my entire life. They scored two points in the first quarter against East Carolina the other day. So a winnable game. But my pandemic take, I'll wrap it up quickly, is that they're really good. They're fun to watch develop. It doesn't really matter if they win because they're not like a – like last year was so frustrating when the year got canceled because like I thought they could have made the Sweet 16. Yeah. I don't think that's a huge concern this year. So just watching them play, they're fun because you're going to be able to watch these players and you're going to be like, I can watch this person for two, three, four more years and they're just going to develop into studs. Like they're really good. Like whatever Coach O is doing in recruiting is working. Yeah, I'd love to get Kamaya on the podcast and ask her the question of, what does Coach O do? And what did Co- uh, Coach Brooks do, too, to just continuously have this this rotating door of fantastic star players and amazing role players? Like, what is that pitch? Like, does he just come to you, Kamaya, or Kiki, or Precious, or Don, and it's just like, this is your team? Like, I, I, I'd love to know that because it just seems like every year it's a rotating door of greatness. And kind of like what you're saying this Buffalo loss it is funny the two different teams last year when they lost to Maryland a ranked team that a game they should have won but I mean we were on the podcast like crying about that loss because it was so gut-wrenching and then yeah. this Buffalo loss we're like that was fun they lost by a lot but uh it was fun to cut a 33 point halftime lead to eight in the fourth quarter is like wow so I yeah. think that part was interesting obviously the start is is awful but my other take is that I think Coach O at some point could go for a significant like signature win right like going back to that Maryland game I think that would have been really big for him he's still never won a conference tournament as the coach so they never made the NCAA tournament I think if you do that that would count as like a signature win or whatever signature achievement so that's my only I don't want to say gripe but I think the only thing that I think would be really beneficial for him and why I think the Virginia game even though Virginia is not great this season could be valuable is like you get that one there's a kind of win you can point to it's like wow that's a signature win I think right now it's the Virginia Tech NIT WNIT win right like that was sweet he beat Kenny Brooks I was gonna say I think that's right now I think I think when he looks back at his career too at JMU like I think that might even go down as a top win just because yeah. of the the storylines in it I mean the game itself was good but I think JMU was kind of the better team throughout but yeah, I don't know if he necessarily has an opportunity to get that signature win this season, too, just because of how weird this season's going to be. Yeah, I'm hoping they can get the conference tournament. It won't be the same as Virginia Tech, but I think beating Virginia, and then you look at his resume, he'll have wins over UVA and Virginia Tech. That'd be kind of cool. They've got a West Virginia team on the road. That could be an interesting one. But, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting for them to try to get some some marquee wins here that that look really impressive for them. Didn't he beat UVA last season? Oh, no, they lost to UVA They lost that season. game, that, and that's a game they should have won. So, like, that was a frustrating one where they didn't play very well, should have won that game. This year they'll have another shot at it. So 
I think that would be super valuable for them if they could pick that one up. So those are pretty much my takes. Also, Rain Tucker is really good. Like she has Kayla Cooper Williams kind of block shot rebounding skill set. She comes down in transition yesterday, catches the ball like just past the free in between the free throw line and the three point line, and just buries a jumper. And I was like, okay, all right. Because Kayla Cooper Williams, very, very good player, especially defensively. She was not burying jumpers. Um, so to have that with her size, her athleticism, just crazy. But I, mean, I don't know, man. I'm excited about the team. They lost by 16, and I, I was like, wow. Like, I want to watch them a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> they, ah, I almost just pulled down my entire desk. But those are, those are pretty much my takes. Oh, okay. What happened? You have a cramp? No, I just stubbed my toe really hard. Wow, well, you powered through. <laughs> Woo! But, yeah, I'm excited to watch this team. They got Virginia. Flow Hoops is an absolute ripoff. Um, but I'm like, the stream doesn't break out, so I guess like I've already paid for it. It doesn't break out because it's Madison. Wait till we get down to Towson and UNCW and Charleston. You shouldn't have said that. That's just making me sad. Like, that's when it gets bad. Like, of course it's good because we're just, now we're just paying for Madison. Which is like, the JMU sports guys mentioned this. They're like, I would pay for Madison if it was like going to JMU. Like, it's frustrating to pay for this. It's basically Madison and it's going to flow hoops. Those sports, whatever. So yeah, it's, it's really stupid. But so far it's worked. I'm excited to watch them. The Thursday one at Virginia doesn't seem to have a TV thing. So maybe I'll have to volunteer myself to cover that. ACC Network Extra. Oh, is it? I have no idea. I'm just I didn't spitballing. See anything. Let me see if UVA puts it up. And then we got to switch over to the men. The men have something brewing. Ooh, do you want to get – how do we want to tee up men's? They beat Radford. That's a signature win. I mean, that's- that game – okay, I guess, I guess that's a good place to start. They did beat Radford in a game – it that is the network extra, by the way, for the Virginia game. You are correct. <laughs> Heck yeah, I'll watch that bad boy. All right. Hey, send me the login. Um, <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, Radford win. That was historic. It was an interesting win because everything was saying this is going to be. We were texting. I was just like, this is this has the feeling of a row era loss. Because the offense, they get up a big lead. The offense goes ice cold. I think there's a point where they scored five. You think you said five points in 12 minutes of game time? <laughs> it felt like that at least. And it, they had built like a 15-point lead. Then they just do that. But then Radford could only cut it to seven. And then it just throughout the game, then they'd go on like this weird 7-0 run. And then their offense would go ice cold again. And like every time they went ice cold in the row era, that would – they would then be down 20, like just the way it would happen. Like their defense, their defense played only as good as their offense played, but under that buying, now in the Byington era, it seems like the defense is a constant, not in the Norfolk state game. They allowed 83 to the team, but a good experienced MEAC team that I think was picked to win the MEAC. I semi agree, but I want to see more games. I want to see more games before I say the defense is a constant. You, I mean, I, you, Limestone University holding him to 55 points? Come on, man. <laughs> the game of that many. But I will say, like, giving up 48 second-half points to Norfolk State has me a little like, er, like, what, what's going on here? So yeah. I want to see more. But against Radford, I will say, 
the energy defensively was pretty much better than the energy I've seen. Like the fact that they had their hands above their shoulders at times was a welcome change in the last four years when they just like put their hands in their pockets and like let them do whatever they wanted with passing lanes. So that was good. I thought they were intense. I thought Byington uh, did a good job wearing his mask, like a chin strap throughout, which I think inspired the team. Get this man a face shield. Just someone put a face shield on him. I don't fully understand why, like if they're testing as much as, well, I don't know how much they're really testing. I think it would be nice if they would all wear the mask appropriately. I've yet to see a college basketball coach actually wear it appropriately through the duration of a game. I have, um, my, I have my feelings on coaches and players forced to wear a mask on the sideline. I think some of it is like an optics thing. 100%. And there's no enforcement. So like, whatever. I don't know. But anyway, I that's a different to... podcast. That's a different podcast <laughs> for sure. But they've got Old Dominion on Monday. Although Byington said in like his O'Neill's Grill that they're trying to add somebody Friday or Saturday because William Mary lost all its games. So I think they're trying to steal one of those opponents, which isn't really stealing. They're just trying to add one of those opponents. But um, that'll be interesting if they can add a little Friday action. Who do, I heard they're in talks with. Or there was a potential opening to a, a, like a Tennessee team had an opening that day. I don't know. I know Hampton when they lost because they lost Carolina University, which is really frustrating. Uh, JMU and Carolina University will not play on December 9th. That's a rivalry that goes back dating to <laughs> this year when it was scheduled. So to have that can't actually no, they played in the, no, they haven't. Um, so that's that hurts, you know, to have that game lost. That's something that I know a lot of Jamie fans are looking forward to tailgating that one on a Wednesday night. So <laughs> stop. Yeah. But ODU George Mason still on the schedule. Mason lost to a D two school, so I think that game they is one by one. Sorry, they won by one, excuse but me. Mason, that's a loss. Mason looks terrible. Like that's a game. I don't think Roe beat Mason, did he? No. Okay, well, that <laughs> that would be a really good start in terms of if we're talking marquee wins. So let's get into our men's basketball takes. Yes. I don't know really how to – I think I think the first one is that I'm just jazzed about this team. Like, Okay. Like, I've been up and down. I watched my first game, sat down, and watched the Radford game. And there's there's parts of this team that I'm still a little hesitant about. I need Joel Mensa to play better, get more minutes. Um, he's not looking like a dominant CAA big man. Um, his airball of a layup was questionable at best. Matt Lewis never thought I'd say this. I'd love for him to take more shots and take over games more. Um, never thought I'd say that. Wooden is really good. Um, sometimes he does a little bit too much, but he's talented. Vado Morse is a certified bucket. He can score points and he can he can fill up the stat sheet and the points column like nobody else on this team. I haven't seen a pure scorer like that. I don't think really ever at JMU. You could you could maybe make an argument for Shakir Brown if he was having a good day. I was going to say that, but he didn't have enough good days to warrant that. His Vado Morse's only problem is he needs to step it up on the offensive side and not have as many. He had a couple questionable turnovers at midcourt. Um, yeah. but, he's a, but his offensive production, I think, makes up for that. Um, and just kind of going through, I want to see more Christmas. Um, 
Yes. There's still a lot of potential in this team. And as we talk more into these takes, I'm interested to hear how you think we texted a lot during the game. And, and we had, we had our thoughts during the game mid game when Radford was making their comeback, but Byington pulled it off. I think what's maybe most interesting to me is Matt Lewis is, I think most people would say he's playing well, right? Started the season strong at 27 against Norfolk state, 18 against Radford. He's not shooting well yet. Like he's shooting 31% from the three point line, just about 40% from the floor, but he's getting the free throw line a ton, which I love. He's also got 10 assists to four turnovers, but if he can shoot the ball more consistently, he's got a chance to, you know, get 25 or 30 on any given night. You look at Morris, he's a guy, I think they could probably get close to 22. Uh, he's right in that area. They're both averaging close to 20 at the moment. Julian Wooden's pretty good. I think like a fourth scorer or some other guys who are a little more consistent would be nice. Justin Amati's pretty good, but he's a freshman who at this point is like just dunking. Like most of his shots are dunks <laughs> or like layups. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I don't think when you play like the same team in back-to-back conference games, you're going to be able to just get like, you're not going to be able to count on like six dunks a game from Justin Amati. So I think a little more development there will be interesting. And then I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed because I don't, we're not, I'm not like plugged into the team. I watch the team a lot. I follow the team. So like in that element, I'm plugged in, but I don't know like what's going on in practice. I had built it up in my mind that Joel Mensa was going to actually dominate the conference. He's not. So, going to. I mean, I think I was, I think I was the, the creator of the Joel Mensa fan club. I when when they announced that we were getting a six ten center from San Diego state, which was the last like a very good mid-major is San Diego State, would you consider them a mid-major? I think so. Sure. Oh, a very good mid-major was transferring here. I was like, this is it. We we got ourselves a dominant CAA big man. Um, and from what I saw against Radford, he's not getting a lot of minutes. He has 24 minutes on the season. That's right. it, That's not great in three games. Averaging eight minutes a game. Let's just go through. He's made one field goal. He has attempted, oops, dropped my pen. He's attempted seven free throws, converted four. Let's just look at rebounds real quick. It's the rebounds, man. Six offensive, which isn't terrible, but only nine rebounds all season. I was telling, remember what I said? I was expecting a, him to average a double-double. <laughs> Well, in his defense, very, very hard to average a double-double in eight, eight minutes. <laughs> but but it's, I think for me, his rotations were really good defensively, like, which is, like, not what you want to say about someone you're expecting to dominate. But, like, defensively, he made some good plays where he would, like, box out and somebody else got the rebound. I was like, all right. But there were also some plays, like, he got out – he got beat on a free throw. So it was the opposing team. Radford shot a free throw. He was the one on the inside – ball bounces right to him and somebody else beat him to the ball uh, for Radford. So he didn't box out, didn't use his six ten frame to grab it. Obviously this is a really small sample size, but he needs to develop a ton, right? He got the ball in the paint, turned around like a little tentatively and airballed it. Um, so I think he needs to get more confident, needs to get more minutes. He didn't get a lot of minutes at San Diego State. So this is a guy who hasn't played, you know, game minutes in a really, really long time. So I think that might have something to do with it, but it was, I don't, we had hyped it up like he was going to be like an all conference player. And I think what they need him to develop into is a rotation piece. So a big change from <laughs> a week ago. Yeah. Um, maybe with him, that sitting out a year for being a transfer would have been best for him. Yeah, I think I think that 
on the bright side, like they don't lose the year. So I think if we view it like that, where it's almost like a sitting out year, because it's not going to count against his eligibility, um, but he'll actually get time in the court. Kind of the same thing with, with TJ Taylor, the Wyoming guy I was reading. Shane Metlin did a good piece on him today where apparently Wyoming was using him as their center last year um, at six, seven. So they played him at center. So they're trying to get him back to like the three or four. And he's sort of adjusting to that. He also expected to sit out. So when he was able to play, it sort of changed his whole mindset where he's like, Oh, like I got to <laughs> kind of work on these things, but also be ready to play in a game. I, I have to get in game shape. Yeah. So he's like still kind of adjusting. He's played eight total minutes this season. Jalen Hodge another transfer who's played eight total minutes like the guard spot. Christmas was quarantined um, previously, so he wasn't in game shape. So he's played, what has he played, like three minutes against Radford? I need more Michael Christmas. I, I was going to say, you were asking for that fourth, That was it the fourth score you were asking for, or third? I think I'll count Wooden as the third. So okay. uh, like fourth, or like a consistent third with Wooden. So you're asking for that fourth kind of consistent bucket. I think Christmas is that. I just want him on the court. Like I know but he was... He needs to get on yeah. a court. If, if we had a, we were we were over here hyping up Mensa as the CAA Defensive Player of the Year, and then we were hyping up Christmas as the potential dark horse CAA Player of the Year. It's early. Mensa, Christmas just hasn't got on the court because of quarantine, being out of game shape, and having to get back up to speed. I, I wouldn't expect him to get a lot of minutes until CAA play. But we're, we've whiffed on those two predictions big time so far, and I mean one of them isn't all of our fault, but. It's early. The Mensa one, I think, is, like, almost certainly wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just from watching that game, I was like, oh, like, okay. He's more of, like, a, a big guy who's still kind of learning how to play the game, I think, in different ways. I think the potential with the size is really fascinating. So, hopefully, he can keep developing, um, especially in the offensive end. I know Shane Metlin was tweeting that he was, like, automatic in warm-ups. He looks pretty comfortable. And then he gets on the court, and he, like, everything's moving kind of fast. So, maybe he'll he'll adjust to the system. Michael Christmas – is such a good player, man. He can rebound. He's big. Like, he's the kind of guy, because they're going crazy small ball. Like, they don't, <laughs> like, it's interesting because they look at Taylor and they're like, he played center last year. You can play center now. Like, they don't have a guy who what, plays. Was their, what was their go-to rotation? Was it Lewis, Morse, Wooden? They didn't necessarily have a go-to. And some of that's because, like, some of the some of the freshmen foul, like, every, every two possessions. You look at Amadi and... And Strickland, Strickland's really interesting. He had 10 steals against Limestone, which I know it's Limestone, but like 10 steals in a game. Guy's got super quick hands, really good defender. So he's a, a freshman that I think is is worth getting some playing time. He's also got 11 assists to two turnovers. He's averaging, what is it, 19 minutes a game, and he leads the team in assists. So that has me kind of excited. Um, so he was in there at times. Amadi was in there. Terrence Edwards actually looked pretty good. He was in there a little bit. Turnovers were an issue for him. But he was in there, got some time. Zach Jacobs got some time which I think he's a fine, like, rotation guy. But, like, yeah. I mean, if we're picking nits, I think, like, he might go Christmas over over uh, Jacobs as the season goes on. Or at least yes, at least have him in there at some times. So I think that Christmas getting three minutes a game will change. I hope it changes, man, because I'm going to be really, really sad if this is not, like, only a quarantine thing. And I actually – I think it is a quarantine thing, though. Yeah. I mean – you're quarantined what for probably he was probably quarantined two weeks yeah. and then before that he was still getting up to game shape yeah here's what i really like about this as you look at the statistics page i have during the row and i don't mean to keep bashing on the row era but 
during the row era, you never saw this many players in double digit plus 15 minutes a game. Javis Harvey, 18 minutes. Terrell Strickland, 19 minutes. This is what they're all averaging through three games. So things will change. But Terrell Strickland, 19 minutes. Zach Jacobs, 16 minutes. Terrence Edwards, 18 minutes. Justin Amati, 21 minutes. Julian Wooden, 28 minutes. Vado Morris, 30 minutes. Matt Lewis, 34 minutes. I've never seen that many players with more than – normally it's the starting five and then a bunch of single digits. I'm pretty excited about this because they're actually like trying to figure out what their rotation is. Like they're actually giving guys minutes. They understand the development. Like Jamie doesn't need to do anything this year. This is my immense basketball take. They don't actually need to win games. Like no one's going to like, we're not, what are they going to fire buying if they don't win games in a pandemic in his first season? No, obviously not. But what I will say, what I will say is that I think they could really benefit from winning. Because, like, in the Roe era, there was this thing where it was like, oh, they blew these games, they lost them, it is what it is, they'll get it next year. And then they're like, oh, well, they'll get it next year. And then it was like, oh, they'll get it next year, and then it was like, Lewis Rose fired. So you can't just keep pushing it off, getting it next year. Like, at some point, you got to win basketball games. So, I mean, I don't think there's, like, a need for them necessarily to have, like, this great season. But what I will say, George Mason isn't very good. That's a winnable game. Like, those kind of games, like, Norfolk State was a winnable game. And those are the kind of games that I think the players, you look at the players and their response after the Radford game, they were excited. They were pumped up. I think in the Roe era, they were pretty loyal to Roe, but I, I imagine there was some questioning just like internally in their own minds after they kept losing and losing and losing. Like, is what we're doing in practice right? Like, is this going to lead to wins? So I think they need to have some of these results, whether it's Mason or Old Dominion or whoever they add to the schedule, conference games, whatever. You gotta win some of these. You gotta find ways to win games. You gotta find ways to have results. You gotta develop as the season goes on. So my take is that, you know, they are not, they don't need to win all these games, but it would go a very long way if they could actually pick up some wins and do some positive things. I agree. That's a, you know, this isn't, this isn't a win season. You can only benefit from this season. Yes. If you lose, there's nothing wrong with that. We didn't expect you to win. If you win, great like that is fantastic but we don't expect you to go out there and win the CAA this year right so anything is basically a bonus but if you can get some of the things that like Roe couldn't do whether it's beating Mason early in the morning on a random Saturday or whatever I mean I think it would be valuable so hopefully they're able to improve and uh I'm interested to see the team develop because like with women's basketball I've got a decent idea like I know some of these players are legit really excited to see them to develop with men's basketball, like, if you ask me to name what the starting five would be in February, I have no idea other than Matt Lewis and probably Morse. And maybe, maybe wouldn't. But, like, like is Christmas going to in? Is Joel Mensah going to improve? Like, I don't, I don't know, man. Because, like, after watching one game, I was – all of my preseason <laughs> thoughts were completely wrong. Yeah, I mean, God, so many of our takes. But I think the best part – of that Radford game of the season so far was you were texting me. It was when Radford was going on a run. They cut it to like four and you just text me. You're like, Matt Lewis needs to take this game over. And then I think he read that text in his mind or something, because I think he single-handedly went on like a six Oh eight Oh run against Radford with like a rebound or two, just dirty, dirty layups with contact. A couple of them could have been called should have been called, um, and it's not a CAA season without questioning the refs. Um, but Matt Lewis, 
he took that game over. And that's kind of what I want to see from him more. I've been critical of him saying he dribbles the ball. He dribbles the air out of the ball, like constantly. I still think sometimes he dribbles a little bit too much. And I think passing it around might help. Um, But they did that pretty well. I think Matt does need to take the game over, though. And he needs to maybe not dribble it as much and maybe just quick decision and drive it in or something. But, man. And then also while I'm thinking of it, the way they started that game, I think they were three for three from three-point land. And that was fun to watch. <laughs> well, like, Morse has some moves where you did, like, a little step back early, and they would kick it to him. At the end of the game, Lewis was kind of creating. Yeah. More. So, like, having two guards – I don't know if they've had two guards since I've been a JMU fan who can both score. Stucky. And Matt? Stucky and Matt. I mean, Stucky would go through really hot games and then cold games. That's fair. I guess when they had Stucky on, that was kind of the, the thing. But even that was like, what did we get? One year of Stucky? Two years of Stucky? We got two years of Stucky, but only one good year of Matt and Stucky. Okay. Yeah, it was interesting because it's like, I think this has some potential at the guard spot. They can both ball handle. They can both. I think, like, I think Morse is probably a better creator than Stucky. But he can oh, still- I think Morse is a fantastic offensive weapon. Yeah. There are question marks around his defense from the one. Granted, there's one game I saw against Radford, and this is subject to change after the ODU game, Mason, ECU, blah, 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 as we go down the games. Subject to change, but he looked a little questionable at times in defense, letting guys blow right by him. A couple times he was a little loose with the basketball with his handling, and then they got an easy steal, or they almost got a couple steals that kind of threw a wrench in the whole offensive rhythm. Bavado Morse is a certified bucket, and I don't think Matt has ever had a guy, even Darius, because Darius could shoot really well, but I mean, just sometimes it seemed like Matt didn't fully trust him or, or something. But this is the first time Matt has ever had a dynamite guard who's playing alongside him that he can drive and kick out to, and he trusts to hit a big three, which Vado did two of them late in the game to kind of ice it. It was awesome. It was awesome to see them close out a game. And the other, my final take that I'll be quick with, the CAA is terrible at basketball. Like, I think this year is going to be just horrendous. Like, I don't I don't think there's anyone in the league, maybe Hofstra, that's, like, even remotely good. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, that's kind of a sad take. But, like, I watched Towson. They're 0-3. I watched them play UVA. Good Lord. Like, I know they're playing UVA, but, like, they were not good basketball team. William Mary had to hit pause, so they're off for two weeks. Drexel, I don't think will be good. I don't think Northeastern and Delaware played from what I'm looking at, so maybe they'll have something. Hofstra, I guess, is the team people look at. But, like, not expecting the league to be any good. Yeah. So that's why I'm somewhat excited about the development, is because, like, they can play like they did against Radford and still win conference games. And it's just this the way the schedule laid out. Oh, whoa, whoa. Bless you. Woo! Um, the way the schedule's laid out, I mean, <laughs> you could easily – I mean, it's just so quickly you can turn the CAA season around or it could just crumble in your hands. I mean, after two weekends, you could be 4-0 in CAA play and have swept the season series against Towson and UNCW. Like, I don't It's just so weird that boom, boom. Yeah, <laughs> the back-to-back will be. Like, you blink yeah. in one weekend, you're Owen after after two weekends, you're Owen four in CA play, or you could be four. Like it's just wild. I don't. Do you expect a lot of one in one weekends? Yeah, 
Yeah, kind of. I think they're probably just because like some of the teams stink. I think they'll both like they'll have a good day and then go from there. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It'll be it'll be interesting to to watch it develop. I think they've got a chance to be pretty respectable as the year goes on. And uh, I am very excited to watch them. Also, to your point earlier, I think that multiple guys getting a lot of minutes is really helpful when you have back to back games every weekend. Yes. Anything else to add on basketball? That's it for me. Perfect. Anything else do you want to add in general? Uh, Lions moved on from Patricia and Bob Quinn. I think this is uh, the sign of something new. So I think they got a chance to to win. And do you have to go right now or do we have time for Shanwell? I thought you wanted to leave because you were looking at your phone. No, I was just checking something. <laughs> I thought you had to leave at 11. Are you good? No, I'm good. Okay, let's do Shanwell then. Two college football, two NFL. Let's go. All right, we got Liberty. And- <laughs> I'm supposed to tell you the picks. Liberty <laughs> Liberty is a seven-point underdog at Coastal Carolina. College game day is there. Take Liberty plus seven. You like them outright, though, too. It scares me a little bit. But yeah. Bennett likes them outright. Shanwell does it. Take them outright. Shanwell says plus seven. I say take them outright. What else we got here? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Just going through the slate. Absolutely love the slate so far. Don't really like it, though. The same time not loving any of these contests oh indiana got its quarterback for a with that oh yeah michael pence i listened to a great yeah. podcast about that it. Uh, coach houston has the boys rolling oh no they're done their season's over but they uh they beat smu that's kind of a big win for them do you have any comment on that since you've been on the houston Miami good trip? i would like to say they did allow SMU to come back big time in that game. They were up big, and SMU <laughs> get out of here. They were up like eighty at halftime. Um, no, what I'm gonna say is after that Cincy loss, where he was upset about Luke Fickle running up the score, they went two and zero. A fantastic defensive showing against Temple, and a fantastic three quarters or a half against SMU, which SMU is a dynamite offense. This is true. Okay, take Oklahoma State minus two and a half at TCU. Okay. What's your what's Chantwell's thinking on that one? Chantwell's thinking on that one is that he normally picks underdogs and then he's realizing that he doesn't have to. Oklahoma State's a pretty good team. TCU don't think they have it this year. It's just a line. They'll probably find a way to win it by about five. Yeah. Unless there's that right. backdoor cover, like a last-second Hail Mary that gets tipped down to Richard Rodgers, who catches it, then they go. Do you think – this is completely side note. Do you think that the Eagles knew the spread? It was, it's an analytics thing. When you're down 14, you score a touchdown. Like, you're down 14 late, score a touchdown. You go for two, and it increases your probability of winning. Thank you. And Doug Peterson's like an absolute dweeb when it comes to that stuff. This man will go for it, so – on a side note, that fourth down where he did throw the pick that everyone was like, he shouldn't have gone for it on fourth down there. Analytics say going for it on fourth there and kicking the field goal changed their probability of winning by 1%. That was super interesting. Here's my question. Do you think it would have helped the sideline, like the emotion to make it and be within a possession still? So this is where I think analytics is kind of, I love analytics. And I also think there there's flaws in it too. Your defense is playing fantastic, fantastic defense all, all game. Mm-hmm. You kick the field goal, you're down eight. You trust your defense. I mean, your defense has shut down the Seahawks offense all game. 
you trust your defense enough to go out there and make one more stop and then give your offense another opportunity. I think you kick the field goal on that opportunity in that chance. But I mean, analytically it's, it's, it's whatever. And I mean, his prop thinking was my offense has done nothing all game and we're on the 15 yard line. I'm going to try and punch it in. But I mean, personally, I would have kicked a field goal and just, just banged on the defense. Who's done something all game. Maybe you even get a turnover. Who knows? But Back to Shantwell. Sorry about that. No, no, that's that's fair. Back to Shantwell. I would Shantwell really was interested in taking the Chargers to beat the Patriots because that looks like an even money line right now. But Anthony Lynn is a lunatic. Like this man loves to call runs. He called a run after a Hail Mary that got him down to the five with like 30 seconds left, down 10. Calls a run up the gut. Doesn't score a touchdown. And then they ran a quarterback sneak when they're running pat. The Chargers are a mess. Absolute mess. All right, let's see what we got here. Does Lynn need to be fired? Yes. <laughs> Almost <laughs> certainly. There's another Tuesday game. with the, Oh, they have to change the whole schedule because of the Ravens and Steelers. I was like, what is going on? Cowboys-Ravens on a Tuesday night. That will be sick. Washington Steelers on a Monday. Are they going to play that game on Wednesday? Okay, can we just – maybe maybe we just stop Shantwell at two and just have one last take about the NFL season. Lions are going to win. That's Chantwell's other one. Lions, money line. They just fired Patricia. They'll be playing the Bears. They'll be happy. Um, I don't get why the Ravens are upset at the NFL, how they're threatening a strike and all of this stuff. When Ravens. they're the reason this is happening with this game, it's their outbreak. Yeah. No, like, the, the fact that the game hasn't been like canceled or fully postponed is kind of crazy to me. The fact that they would push it to a Wednesday and then make the Steelers do all these short weeks is is kind of ridiculous. The Steelers had the big outbreak. I don't think it's it's fair to them at all. And also, I'm going up against a player in fantasy when I've got a lead. Just playing on Wednesday, wouldn't mind that matchup being pushed. Give me the wins. It just the, the, this has happened to the Steelers twice now with the Titans earlier in the season. They're still the only undefeated team. But like the Broncos had to play a game without a quarterback. Yeah. And then you're sitting there and the Ravens are like, we're going to strike if we're forced to play this game on Tuesday or Monday, whenever. We talk about how the NFL, this is really frustrating to me, the NFL and how like some of the main NFL reporters for these networks are like, the NFL has not canceled the game, so therefore they're doing well. That's not how any of this works. Like if you've had outbreaks within the teams, which they have, that's not good. When you're bringing in like fans, like a lot of fans to a stadium that also doesn't seem good like bringing all these people into a town so i'm not a huge fan of the nfl being like we've done it because nothing's been canceled when they're just literally refusing to cancel a game they i personally think earlier in the season when the titans had their outbreak they should have forfeited a game yeah i also think the ravens should have forfeited this game like don't get an outbreak i mean But I mean, it, it, it sounds stupid, but it is kind of that simple. Knock on wood, the Seahawks haven't had a single positive case all season. Like, it can be done, but... Most of the teams but, are showing that you can do it with limited numbers. It's like if you're doing really stupid contact tracing protocols, like the Broncos had the quarterbacks on a meeting and they wore their masks incorrectly. Like, obviously, it's hard to be that diligent. You're getting tested all the time. You probably don't think you need to, but like, just do it, man. Or don't have all your quarterbacks in the same room. Really, Drew Locke, like, Scotty wanted to meet with him or something. I don't even know. But Like, <laughs> what what team is it that has Josh McCown on retainer? Uh, I forget who has him. Is it the Eagles or is it, like, the Jets? You know, I don't remember, but it's some that. random team that some just has him back in Texas sitting at home. 
the Bills stuck Jake Fromm in isolation. He's isolated from all the quarterbacks, and he's like their emergency QB. It's just like living away from all the quarterbacks. Smart. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not that hard. You got to find ways to do it. Obviously, the Lions have done a good job with COVID. And uh, I think that that should – honestly, if you're a team like Detroit that you've done a good job with that, I feel like you should just, like, reverse the record, right? So, four and seven, let's make them seven and four. Let's put them in the hunt. Dude, they might hire Bevel. You'll like this. Bevel, he's the interim coach. He has a five-game audition. This is what they've told him to be the head coach. I would cry. If, he, if he's your head coach, I'm sorry. I don't think he will be, but that's what, what they're saying. He's also completely – been about two days. He's gone full anti-Patricia. He's like, I just want the guys to have fun. We're just trying to have fun out there. We're trying to enjoy ourselves. You know, it doesn't all have to be hard work. You can have fun and work hard. You know uh, You know who they should bring in to hire? Who is this? Jim Caldwell. Uh, people have suggested that, like he didn't get, <laughs> get fired. Because of an inability to succeed in the postseason. He was a good coach. He's better than Patricia. It doesn't mean he's, like, going to lead you to where you want to go. Whatever. Okay. I'm only on uh, the San Francisco defensive coordinator. Robert Sala? Yes. He's a Michigan guy, high energy, or I will take an offensive genius like uh, Lincoln Riley. You know who I really want the Seahawks to hire this offseason? Lincoln Riley's going to be a lion, but. Matt Patricia <laughs> as our defensive coordinator. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> you could use it, though. Seahawks pretty bad on D. There's a theory floating around Seahawks Twitter that the Seahawks turn because they've when they do sideline shots, Pete yeah. is always next to Ken Norton, our defensive coordinator mm-hmm. now, talking in his ear. And this happened about three weeks ago when our defense like made that turn. Yeah. And everyone's like, Pete's calling the plays now. Pete has taken over defensive coordinator and he's using Ken Norton as his like <laughs> My last comment to you as a Seahawks fan before we end this is that I think it's going to be really exciting that they will go into the playoffs as the Super Bowl favorite and everyone will deem that their defense is like cured and their offense is playing amazing because their schedule is crap and they're going to roll through these teams and people are going to be like, I don't know what it is about Seattle, but they figured it out. And then like, they'll probably still have a really good chance of winning a lot of postseason games, but it's going to be much tougher sledding than like the game against Washington coming up. Here's my take about the Seahawks. They need to get their offense figured out. Their yeah, offense would, has struggled the last two, three games. It's actually interesting. I wonder if, like, at some point you just put in Geno Smith, see if the quarterback is the issue, try to get a spark there, because Russ is not it. Good player, good game manager. He's not ever going to lead you to wins. <laughs> I hate you. No, there's that. He's like a baker. <laughs> All right. That, that'll end this podcast. Bennett is... is is going crazy over there <laughs> and he's living for it you do have the worst schedule i've ever seen in my life giants jets washington and then rams niners yeah though that ram that rams niners are gonna be tough yeah but you're what you'll be 11 and 3 going into that yeah all right for bennett conlin my name is jack fitzpatrick um we are excited for the upcoming men's and women's basketball games women's play uva on what is it tuesday well, Thursday action. Thursday action, my fault, on ACC Network Extra. And the men's team plays uh, ODU on December 7th. But buying 10 teased a Friday or Saturday late edition. So I think they're uh, going to 
they're going to add some. He did not specify who it will be, but he said they're going to add some with me. All right. So be on the lookout for that. For Ben Conlon, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.